Welcome to They Live By Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I'm Adam Lundy, joined as always by Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Hello, gentlemen, how's things? Hello. How's it going? Hey, hey. Have you seen anything good recently? Anything you want to shout out before we get going? Well, I was just going to say, we're recording this on December 11th, so it's just crazy to think how fast this year goes. Um, what What are you all up to on Letterboxd so far for the year? Do you know? Oh, I can check that... it real quick. I'm on Letterboxd. I'm over 400. Um, I think I know what I'm at, but I can't remember 100%. So let me just double check before I throw figure out. I'm yeah. definitely less than both of you guys. I'm at 406. Okay, so, and and I think we've talked about this before. On Letterboxd, you ha- there's there's no way to separate shorts, right? So you have to have um, shorts. Shorts are in there. So including shorts, I'm at 415 this year. Yeah, okay, I'm, I on two, I'm on 253, so I'm well behind. Well, you've had like two sicknesses this year and your job schedules changed. So I think you have. And I also don't really watch shorts. So I'm yeah. not a cheater like you guys. Hey, I don't, I don't have any shorts on mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's 406 <Well>, legitimate. <laughs> it's like I, I've started doing this thing where if the the Blu-ray that I'm watching has a short on it, I'll, I'll watch it just, uh, you know, just out of curiosity to see what's part of the supplement. So yeah so anyways it's, i've never i've never crossed 450 400 before but it, i don't really feel too proud of that because <laughs> <laughs> i know it's at least 30 shorts i don't know exactly how many but um yeah i saw so i saw uh some movies from 88 films H- have you all ever seen anything from them i've seen their yeah. like stuff up but i've never owned any I have a couple of I have, I have a couple of their of their uh, kung fu movies. Their their releases are fantastic. Like they, you know, they. I just watched a movie called On the Run, which is like I don't know if it, maybe technically like a, a really violent neo noir. Maybe it's it's got a lot of crime um, elements to it. It's not a kung fu film from Hong Kong. It's more of a crime film. It's probably somewhere closer to like hard boiled or um, like that. Um, and it probably it has some of the most like it's it's really hard to talk about it without giving away spoilers. It's just there's a lot of deaths in the movie of like close people to the different members. It's just funny. It, it's so tragic. It becomes funny because <laughs> it's just like, you know, like like everybody close to people just like drop off and you're like seriously another one <laughs> um but then um zach this is something you talked about a while ago i saw um ashken the charmed ring and other stories um i can't remember did we talk about this last time we recorded we did not right I'm or did we talk to, to, no I, I don't think so i don't think i've seen That's that what I <laughs> um wow i was so close to suggesting that we see all four of Shara Mokri films in that one. Because um, that movie is great. Like, it, it made me feel the exact same way that I felt the first time I saw Memento when I was in, like, college. And, you know, it plays with time and, and you're like, it's a non-linear storytelling style. Um, and all those different threads kind of come together and, and right when, you you know, uh, when they don't seem like they will, I guess, for most of the movie. Uh, it's really, really well done. Um, 
It's a uh, another Iran- Iranian uh, filmmaker. I know we've talked about him in the past. I think it was yeah, months ago. I, 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 I misunderstood what you said. I know, yeah. I know who you're talking about now. I, I, for some reason, I heard something else. Yeah, I've seen two of his films. I haven't seen the other two yet. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's... we did bring up the box set before. Yeah, it was from was it from Arbalos? Uh Death Crocodile. Death Crocodile. Yeah, but yeah, and it's great. What about you? What about y'all? Um, well, I've been trying to, my goal for December is I started out with this idea that I was going to go through like 25 horror films for Christmas related horror films. Then I started making the list and realized, uh, this, this is going to start sucking after a while. So I decided to instead do kind of a 12 days of Christmas. I just got to watch 12 movies before Christmas that are genre <laughs> horror related. So, okay. uh, as so far this month, I've gotten to six. Uh, the first one I nice. did, I started with. One of my favorites, which is the Black Christmas remake from 2006. It's like a yearly uh-huh. watch for me at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, great, colorful film. It's overhated. I will defend it to my dying breath. Um, and then there was Batman, which was a uh, 2020 film uh, with Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins. That was okay. Um, honestly, it seems a lot like what Violent Night is supposed to be this year. Um, um, I enjoyed oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. It was fun enough. Um, then there's the one I, I watched uh, that's been kind of been the biggest surprise is Christmas Evil. I had never seen it. And honestly, it's because I kind of thought it was going to be like Silent Night, Deadly Night, which I don't really care that much about. I think it's kind of fine. Um, but I was really impressed with like Christmas Evil because it's a lot closer to something like Maniac. Like it's a very much a character study of this guy who had such a bad experience when he was a kid and you know, he he just wants to believe in the spirit of Christmas so bad that it just like ends up causing him to do pretty horrible things. Okay. Uh, really great. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, then I rewatched The Green Knights, which people will argue is not horror. I don't care. I'm adding it. It's great. Um, <laughs> not a big David Lowry fan in a lot of ways because I think a ghost story is pretentious drivel. But this one's not. This one's really good. <laughs> great King Arthur tale. Um, rewatch. Uh, watch. Christmas, Bloody Christmas, which could have been better if the animatronic Santa was not just a guy dressed up as Santa that they put, like, animatronic sounds towards. Really beautifully shot film, but that really loses it, and the dialogue's very Rob Zombie-ish. <laughs> okay. And not in a good or, good or charming way. And the final part I'm at now is The Leech, which I watched on the Arrow Player, which is kind of an odd couple story in the worst possible way. It's a good movie, though. Basically, it's about like this priest who wants to, his church is dying, his, his Catholic church is dying. So he finds this bum outside um, who asks him for a ride and he just keeps like leeching off of him. And they kind of bring out the worst qualities of one another. Um, and it's kind of like that, like Mother, uh, the Aronofsky film, but not as metaphorical and a lot more fun. So that is where I'm at at my six, six so far, six to go. What about you, Adam? So I've just been like knocking a few films off the sight and sound lists, uh, the main the critics one and the director's one. So uh watched Color of Sheep, Charles Burnett film. Uh it was pretty interesting. Uh, it was just kind of like a kind of like in the style of like Italian neorealist, but like set in like uh like Los Angeles, you know, sort of like the Crenshaw, that kind of region of LA, a sort of poor region. Uh, it was pretty. It was pretty okay. It's very vignetted. It's not really like a cohesive story, um. So, kind of like some some scenes are better than others 
in that kind of way. Um, I saw the Bresson film Largent, uh, pretty good, about this uh, fake banknote and how it completely ruins this dude's life, but like it kind of shows how it got between, you know, from one person to another person to another person. And it's just all about how people are assholes, especially when it comes to money. Um, mm. So it's pretty good. Uh, I saw the fabled Jean Dielman. I uh, watched it. Um, I liked it. It was pretty good, you know, for for a film that I thought would be very tedious. Uh, the three and a half hours, honestly, did kind of fly by. Um, it's really, really meditative. Um, kind of just, you wouldn't think that watching a woman make a meatloaf would be all that interesting, but it was. It was. It was pretty engaging for what it was. Um, and then I watched another longer film. Uh, Celine and Julie go boating. The Jacques Rivette film. Uh, yeah. My first, my first Jacques Rivette film. Um, you know, I avoided this so long because you know they're so all of his films are so fucking long. Yeah, uh, this is another three and a half film, uh, three and a half hour film, I should say. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty good. I didn't love it, but it was wild. Uh, so much crazy shit happens. It's kind of like a elongated. David Lynch film through the eyes of Eric Romer. Um, it's it's pretty bad. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's really it's really really wild ride. Um, so if you have three and a half hours to spare and want to watch some weird quasi Alice in Wonderland meets murder mystery meets gen, you know generic seventies French stuff, uh, maybe it's the film for you. But then I watched a film yesterday and I haven't stopped thinking about it since it kept me up last night thinking about it. And it's the new Park Chan-wook film, Decision to Leave. Mm-hmm. It's the best film I've seen this year. It's wow. so good. It it's on my end. list to watch, but I want to watch Handmaiden first. Like, I know they're not directly related, but I the feel Handmaiden's like... Handmaiden's the only other Park Chan-wook film I've seen. That's I like that one as well. It's pretty good. I prefer Decision to Leave, but The Handmaiden's also very good. It has... They're both kind of similar in terms of like they, they have a lot of twists and turns along the way and stuff. But yeah, Decision to Leave it floored me. The ending absolutely broke me. It's great, great film. I highly recommend watching it. I think it's now streaming through movie worldwide or at least in a lot of different regions. Okay. Um, so if you're a movie subscriber, it might be worth checking it. That's where, that's where I watched it on movie and I'm 99% sure I read that they have the streaming rights in the US as well. So um, if you're looking to watch it, uh, soon go to a movie they are not affiliated with this podcast but if they want to become affiliated with us that's fine also um yeah that's 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 what i've been up to so yeah decision to leave definitely the best 2022 film i've seen this year but i'm still having i'm still a bit behind on 2022 releases because i don't get to the theater very often so i'm still waiting to see banshees of Inishirin and probably the only the other film i'm really anticipating is after sun um that another another movie release so i'm really i'm anticipating that i think that's streaming next week uh so i'll I'll be looking forward to watching that one as well maybe maybe i'll be talking about all of them uh in our wrap-up episode in a few weeks time oh nice what was the name of the one about the banknote i missed what the name of that uh l'argent so it's in french so it's l um l sort of you know the little comma thing the upside down comma okay a r g e n t Largent. Oh, found it. Thank you. Yeah. There's two there's two films called Largent. One's from like the 30s. It's not that one. It's, this one's from 1983. Yep. The Bre- Breeson one. Yep. For Breeson. 
Persona. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so that's, Persona. that's yeah. Persona. Yeah, it's good. It's a good film. It's just it's just it just really it's a film that showcases how scummy humans can be over the course of eighty odd minutes. Cool. I'm into it. I'll, I might check that out soon because it's on cool. HBO Max as well. Yeah, and it's on the Criterion Channel also, and I think pretty much. All of these, apart from uh, all of the ones I mentioned for the Sight and Sound, Apart from Killer or Sheep, are on the Criterion Channel. So Larjan, John Dillman, and Selena and Julie Go Pudding are all on the Criterion Channel. Um, I have a question for y'all that's not related to the Sight and Sound Top 250. But oh, by the way, Adam, how how far are you on the list now as far as percentage complete? Uh, I'll double check. Because you had, was it only? Like 10 or 15 that you had not seen? Something like that? Uh, you had seen? On the critics list, I'm now on 86 out of 100. Oh, oh 86 out of 100. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. The 250, apparently, apparently the 250 that was out in 2012 wasn't even official. That was just some dude who happened to have all the ballots kind of made it and expanded it. So oh. as, far as, I, as far as I'm aware from what I can find, we're only going to be getting a 100. There's not going to be a 250 list this year. That's kind of disappointing, to be honest. Uh, or that same person will just make another 250. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in terms oh, of what yeah, BFI are putting out anyway. So BFI's never done an official 250. As far as I can find, okay. no, they've always ever just done a top 100. From what I was reading, because people were asking in different groups that I'm in, um, when's the 250 coming out? And someone has said that two, the 250 was just something a dude put together. It wasn't officially done by BFI. It was just something that a guy who had all the ballots put together and put on Letterboxd. So, yeah, maybe he'll do it again. Who knows? But uh, we'll have to wait and find out. And it's kind of cool that Letterboxd uses that on their stats page as well. That his yeah, exactly. List. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's a good point. Um, so not necessarily uh, a Critics 250, but certainly up there for a lot of people are the Lord of the Rings films. And I'm, you know, I'm going through that hundred film set from Warner Brothers. I'm all the way up to ninety-two now. Um, so I've seen, you know, ninety-two of the best Warner Brothers films throughout the year, and I'm on track to finish all hundred. Ninety-one, ninety-two, and ninety-three are the Lord of the Rings films. So I'm just curious. Do you, I, we may have spoken about this before, but do y'all have a favorite? Uh, two Towers, hundred percent. Two Towers as well. Oh, I thought that was going to be controversial. Yeah, I'm the same. I just realized I'm the same. It has, I mean, I, I don't know why it's the lowest on every ranked list, but it has help. It has uh, everything. Homesteep like, is like the best action fight movie, whatever battle scene in history. So yeah, Homesteep. It, it is. And I also think it's the tightest story of the three. Like I didn't realize, yeah. you know, all the problems with Return of the King about how it doesn't end. That also happens in... Um, uh, Fellowship of the Ring a little bit not to the same degree but there's like at least four endings where it's like I mean I know it's in the book but you're just kind of like oh 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 okay there's 45 minutes still yeah. oh, oh okay okay there's 30 minutes um anyways yeah so uh, yeah two towers for me as well for me like when you come I, we, we, I, I'll try not to get us on a Lord of the Rings tangent because I can go on forever but like all three kind of for me capture something different like if I want something very whimsical it's fellowship like sure. every time fellowship is great for that it's the most whimsical of the three to me if i want like the best emotional core i really do go to return like i think it's got the best emotion like it's going to be the one that makes me like 
just emotional, I guess, is the word, just to reuse that word about eight times. But Two Towers, I just think, is the best one of all of them. Like, it's just the most consistent. It, I think it's the one that flies by, even on, like, the extended edition. It's, like, four hours, three and a half, four hours. It doesn't feel that way. I can watch it yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, it has the reveal of Gandalf the White, which is just an awesome moment, the way they did it. The battle at Helm's Deep, you're right. And there's, like, the there's that feeling when when they when they um it's the riders of rohin anyways when those extra uh, you know people come over the hill with gandalf at the end mm -hmm. and help in the battle uh it's just it's kind of hard to beat that moment uh you know it's at least in the series if not throughout film in general uh that's just a really powerful moment of hope and like i think they really nailed the meta you know like the feeling they were going for there yeah, I'll never quite, like, every time I see it, like, on a rank list, like, on, like the big ones, not anyone's particular one, but, like, I think it's on IMDb, it's the last one. I think on Letterboxd, it's the last one. Um, I'm sure there's other lists I'm just blanking out on, but that always seems to be the bottom one of the three. Yeah, they shoot pictures as well. It's outside of the top 1,000. Um, but um, anyways, yeah, it's, it's fresh for me, so I thought I would ask, because I hadn't seen those in a minute, but... Um... Two Towers is where it's at. Team Two Towers here. <laughs> <laughs> we can be a Two Towers podcast. Now. We are officially we'll sponsored by Lord of the Rings <laughs> <and> Two Towers. <laughs> Brought to you by New Zealand. <laughs> or, um, all right, go ahead. Let's let's um, let's dive in, y'all. But thanks for that little detour. I was just uh, I, I forgot to ask that earlier. No problem. So yeah, as we mentioned at the end of the last sort of discussion episode um today we are going to be watching some snow westerns so uh, it's worked out super lucky for me because uh, i wanted i was going to be picking day of the outlaw uh, which is going to be our first film today which i'll i'll give a bit more detail in a second um, and i was thinking about what i'd pair that up with it would just be like a normal western and then i saw the list of films that criterion were announcing for the month and that they were having a snow western month um so it's like okay that just like worked out perfectly in my favor let me just choose one of these to go along with it yeah. um so yeah as i mentioned the first one we're going to be watching is day of the outlaws from 1959 from a director called andre de tot which uh zach shared an image of him the other day and listeners look up andre de tot he is the manliest man to ever exist uh he looks like he eats cement for breakfast um uh, <laughs> To give you a bit of an overview of the film from Letterboxd, they say that Blaze Starrett is a rancher at odds with homesteaders when outlaws hold up the small town. The outlaws are held in check only by the notorious leader, but he is diagnosed with a fatal wound and the town is a powder keg waiting to blow. Um, Chris, how are we looking on sight and, or not sight and sound on They Shoot Pictures for this one? I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. Way too low. So this is the 2,586th film of all time. Nah, nah. Um, way too low. So I think, you know, it's right up next to uh, Nightmare Alley, for example. Um, Mr. Deeds goes to town. It's in good company, but way too low for me. Yeah, this is better than Nightmare Alley for me anyway. Yeah. Uh, I as as I mentioned, so the last time we spoke, I've always I've seen this before, and I've mentioned it on innumerable episodes of the podcast in passing. So I was so glad that we actually eventually got to watch it together. And um, I originally saw this, and you guys will probably pick up on this when you watched it. 
I originally saw this on the Criterion channel about two years ago now in a particular uh, program they were running called Western Noirs. So you guys probably picked up, this is not like a your typical Western film. And the next film kind of ties into that a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is very much essentially a film noir in a Western setting. It's not really about, you know, hitting the frontier and, you know, all that John Ford crap uh, about <laughs> sort of, you know, exploration and all this stuff. It's very much a, a very much character piece, very much a, a chamber piece, almost that kind of all takes place mostly um, just within within buildings, but then obviously it does expand uh, towards the end. But yeah, I I, I freaking love this film. I was really surprised when I went to go rate it again after watching it again. I don't know why, but I gave it three and a half stars, even though I've had nothing but good things to say about it since watching it. So I don't know what I was on that day. I don't know if I misclicked or something when I when I first rated this film. Um, but it bumped all the way up to four and a half stars this time around. I think it's a just an awesome film. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to have to say about it. So I'll kind of go for uh, for mine. So you've I know you've talked about this film plenty, and I'm sure you told me what the film was about. And honestly, it's been a while since I, so I forgot. So I just went in. I was like, I have no idea what this is really about besides it being a snow western. And so when it starts out with like, you know, um, this little dispute about barbed wire fences. Um, I was into it. I was like, oh man, this is kind of interesting to go like this low stakes, but I'm like actually into whatever drama this is. Like it's a little melodrama with like the guy's wife and him and stuff like that. And I'm like, but hey, I can I can go with this. And then so when the outlaws actually like come in and the bottle breaks that where they're about the time this big shootout part, I was like, oh, we're going a hundred percent different direction. So that was just like kind of a fun experience for me. It's yeah. kind of a nice thing of not really knowing what's going to happen, and it makes it that little bit more fun. Yeah, that was exactly my experience too. I was like, okay, I see. This could be interesting. I, I get it. Oh, it's going to be really good. Um, did y'all get Hateful Eight vibes from this? This had to influence that movie, right? I, I was going to talk about Hateful Eight in a bit, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually the only Tarantino film I've never seen. I mean, it's very similar. <laughs> okay, so, don't, so I don't have to watch it because Tarantino probably ripped it all from this. Well, the one thing I'll say is I always had this thing of like, why? Like, I like Hateful Eight. I think it's fun. I think Walton Goggins is definitely the highlight of the film. Um, but like what it always kind of held back for me is he he makes a big deal about shooting in 70 millimeter, which is great. I love 70 millimeter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it takes place in one location inside. So it almost mm-hmm. feels wasted. Like it's kind of a funny joke to use 70 millimeter and basically reservoir dogs. Uh-huh. But, you know, I watched this film like day of the outlaw where it has such a beautiful like landscape and cinematography. Yeah. And I'm like, this would look so good in 70. That's true. This would look fantastic. I was thinking, um, you know, because, well, we haven't mentioned the name of the other film yet, but that has a few shots of like, um, I guess they must have used a helicopter, but where you actually get to kind of see like the where they're at, like the whole landscape. Yeah. And I wish they would have done that here because I think the way they shot this film, it, it had uh, better cinematography as far as from like the bleakness, like the the vastness of the snow, like I think the way they use that uh, here, uh, it would have been cool to have like, or if they had drones nowadays, where you know you could have like really seen where they were at and like zoom. I don't know. I don't know if it would have fit for the story, but um, 
I just I wanted to see more of the snow because it was so like oppressive. It was such a part of the environment, such a part of the story. Um, and then and then the other thing I feel like I just have to call out. So the main bad guy is Burl Ives, right? Um, the the guy's the character's name is Jack Brune. Um, he's yeah well this is the thing like when we talk about good guys and bad guys in this film it's so gray and um, technically yes the leader of the outlaws is the is is captain the captain brune the, the sort of ex-war captain um, but i would definitely say tex and pace are villains the villains of this group. yeah this is the yeah. thing this is the thing when we yeah. get to this film it's it's not all very black and white about who's the villains and the bad and the good guys and the bad guys and stuff but yeah bird eyes is the leader of the outlaws great 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 point and i can't wait till we get into that discussion i just i don't think i've really like i've recognized the face i'm sure i've seen him and stuff but i haven't like really seen him in a, in a leading role like this at least that i can think of that guy is a hell of an actor. Like, yeah, I'm looking at his credits. Um, like he didn't have a lot of credits, but there's I haven't seen him in anything else, but I recognize there's a lot of famous films on this list: East of Eden, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, White Dog. Sure. So yeah, you might have seen him in one of those, maybe. He is. I mean, there's a lot of good performances in this, but I think for me, it's he's the standout. He was. I just think he was fantastic in this. Yeah, and oh. I think he, him, and um, I don't know the actor's name, the main character. Rob Ryan. Robert Rob Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, I think they play off each other well, even though they're, they probably only have like, I don't know, four scenes together. Yeah. Each one of them is just so good that they have that kind of good chemistry between them. Burl Ives, sorry to undercut this. Burl Ives was in something called the Ewok Adventure. And. <laughs> It looks terrible. I've never even heard of this before. That sounds like a terrible name. The Ewoks—it's spelled Ewoks. It's like a Star Wars spinoff. That's what I was thinking. I was like, "There's no way, right?" Like, no, no, yeah, it's literally—it's—it's it's a Star Wars spinoff. That's crazy. TV, I've never even heard of this. It's a TV one. Must be, yeah. Apparently, streaming on Disney Plus. Happy days. I know what I'll be watching later. You'll have two <laughs> credits on your stats page on Letterbox for him now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but while, yeah. while we're speaking about Robert Ryan, can we talk about him then for a second? While we're on, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, I've seen him in a few things. Um, we've seen him in House of Bamboo, Bad Day of Black Rock, Clash by Night, and The Wild Bunch, and then this as well. And like, I'm trying to remember in House of Bamboo. Yeah, he was the the lead actor. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then. He's the bad guy in Bad Day at Black Rock, and he's the bad guy in Clash by Night. He's always, except for House of Bamboo, but even then he's kind of morally gray. He's always, you know, this sort of very manly villain, uh, sort of bad guy pulling the strings, that kind of type. So seeing him in this kind of role in Day of the Outlaw was amazing because, as I kind of said earlier, the line between good guys and bad guys in this film is very thin. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit here and say that. Uh, Blaze is the is the hero of this movie. Um, he's not your atypical sort of Western hero. Like he's not like a John Wayne type or anything like that. He's mm-hmm. he starts off the film, you know, basically, you know, basically threatening to to destroy another farmer's property because you know the woman he liked married him instead. You know, 
pretty that's that's kind of like petty villain shit um you know that's not something that our that's not something that our 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 heroes of you know film and whatever tend to do so this is why i think it's so great casting robert ryan in that kind of role because if you were to have someone like um like henry fonda prior to once upon a time in the west for example you know you wouldn't really take him seriously as that kind of morally gray person obviously that kind of changed after once upon a time in the west but you know prior to that you know henry fonda was always the good guy so you wouldn't really be able to take him seriously but that's why robert ryan is great in that role because he's played villains and you know he's been known for villainous roles have him be this morally sort of gray character uh, as the lead is super interesting it's not something you see a lot even in film noirs the lead is normally someone who is either on the side of the law or they're a civilian who's kind of been dragged into the dirt a little bit. You know, they've been kind of drawn along by a femme fatale like Dana Andrews in Dublin Indemnity, for example. You know, you got you kind of got dragged into it. Whereas Robert Ryan kind of, you know, leads the charge on his on his bad stuff as well as the kind of heroic stuff he does later on in the film. So I, I I think he's great in this film. I love him. I I don't think there's another actor who could kind of do the role like he did in this film, and 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 be as good. I think what you know one thing that they kind of make uh, apparent, like when you first see him, is he's a very principled person. Like we learn later in the film that you know even when he wakes up that morning, he says he always knows what he wants to do when he wakes up. He understands what his what his decisions are. He is a man of, of of a lot of convictions, and even when he doesn't, isn't even sure of himself, he has to be that. It's almost like this masculinity thing, mm-hmm. um, to that degree. And so, when something important happens, it makes it that much more believable that he would be the man because he has more conviction than just about anyone else in this town. When you see, like, he has a plan, even if it's not necessarily a good one, he at least is going to do something. And so when he kind of takes charge, it feels that much more believable, even though he was just about to shoot one of like 10 people who live in this town. Yeah. The masculinity aspect is a good thing to talk about with this film because it's it's full of toxic, you know, masculinity and sort of testosterone fueled mayhem. Um, Like the the main, like the main sort of um, conflict in this film is essentially that the outlaws want to rape the women of this town and kill all the men you know the only thing holding them back from doing that is Burl Life's character the sort of leader of the outlaws staying alive so so much of the tension is going on if this dude dies then all the women in this town are going to get raped all the men in this town are going to get murdered by these testosterone fueled head cases they've just been driven mad um, by this sort of masculinity or you know to- toxic masculinity testosterone whatever um so it's 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 really interesting to see a film from this era kind of focus on that it's just not it's this this is the way i love this film it's just so unlike anything of its era you never really had we kind of talked about this a little bit when we talked about the hitchhiker um last time around or you know, a couple of episodes ago how you don't really get films with that kind of psychological depth um, in this era uh, but this is another one as well it's just there's so much that could go wrong so quickly if one little thing happens one little chain of events and it's all just down to psychology and you know this idea of of what these sort of outlaws think is a manly 
thing to do, which is to attack these women, which obviously it's not any sane person can see they're not doing it. But in their minds, this is not wrong. They're like saying, I think one of them says, and this made my skin crawl, uh, one of the outlaws says, I want to make the little one happy. By that's yeah. the, the, what he means there is, I want to rape her. But like he said that, I want to make the little one happy, and that just made my skin crawl. Um, but it kind of it goes to show what his, what their mindset is. They're, it's it's so toxic. So yeah, and you, you know, oh, sorry, Chris, you go ahead. No, 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 go for it. No, I, the only thing I was going to note is, you know, it's interesting talking about masculinity um, in this because. I think there the thing that makes you know we talk about that thin line between like the morally good and the morally bad characters is this very thin line and I think it's the same thing with like positive masculinity and toxic masculinity you know they they mention it several times like uh Gene the the young the young one who's in the outlaws um Captain Braun who's uh leader and of course our main character aren't that far different from the worst version of it, but they have these principles that kind of do show a positive form of that masculinity that to be that principled and not just find the parts of masculinity that benefit them. It's they're very principled people and they go against even their best interests in many times just to hold those principles because they believe them to be true. Um, which is what makes it fascinating, especially when we talk about like, you know, the captain is who starts like all this issue but his death would be the worst thing for this town. Kind of what you were talking about. Like he, he's the reason they're there, but his living is what's making it from being a lot worse. So I, I want to build on that, that exact point, Zach. So what, what year, and I'm sorry, make, make fun of me all you need to. What, what year did world war two end? Was it 45? 45, 45, 45, yeah. 45, 45, right? Okay. So 14 years after world war two, this movie come, uh, yeah, this movie comes out. And I think it's really interesting. If you think about it from a World War II perspective, this is a story of soldiers who are the villains, like come, you know, sweeping through a series of towns and essentially raping and pillaging on their way to some mission. Now, you could say maybe like, you know, they're they're more like MIA, like they're not necessarily, you know, active military. But I'm curious if this was somehow an attack on, you know, whether it's the the play that this was based off of, or the or the novel, or whatever, or the you know Philip Jordan as the writer, just his perception, his interpretation of that uh, material, or Andre de Toth was trying to make a point. But I feel like there was a lot of stuff going on in the '50s. It was a reaction to World War II, and I don't know. I couldn't help but but bring it up and see what y'all thought. Cause it just, it, it didn't feel like an accident. You know, I, I listen to my parents talk a lot. Um, my mom, my dad was born in the fifties. My mom was born in the early sixties. And one thing I've heard them kind of reference, never talk about directly, but just little things I've picked up on is, you know, obviously winning world war two was the bright spot was the thing you were happy about, but it's the, it's the aftermath. Like what is the, what does the atomic bomb mean? What is what does that mean for our future? Does that what does that turn us into? Sort of idea. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there there is a little bit of that, you know, just like kind of what Adam was talking about earlier, that thin thin line between being the good guys and the bad guys. Um, and I think that perspective's here. You know, obviously, I, from what I can tell, it's not in color, but it looks like 
the captain is wearing a Union uniform based on the stripe on his leg. I believe he's a Union soldier. Um, But he's the bad guy. I mean, and most, you know, we talk about today, most people would agree the Union were more in the right than the South was. But he's the bad guy, and obviously he did something terrible to the Mormons in Utah. It's a very thin line. He was on the right side but did the wrong thing. Yeah. That's something that, you know, looking back on World War II, a lot of people could say the same thing, you know. Like what we were mentioning about the atomic bomb, you know, you were like the US were on the Allied side, but that was probably the wrong thing to do. Um, so it's yeah, it's 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 interesting when that bleeds into art. Um, I didn't even I didn't catch that he was doing it. Obviously, I'm not familiar with the 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 uniforms. I wouldn't have I've known the difference um, without him explicitly saying what side he was on. So. Uh, I obviously am only thinking about this now after you said it, Zach, but it's a it's a very good point. And it does it does boil into the rest of the film being so morally ambiguous. Well, there's very unambiguous, but there's also a lot of ambiguous stuff in here as well. Yeah, and I mean it's it, you know, the characters, even with Captain, whatever the captain did, you know, I know they don't go in, in depth in depth. He's obviously a man full of regret as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, even uh, main character talks about, you know, he doesn't, cause he's like, you're not going to do anything because you don't want it to be the Battle of the Mormons again. Yeah. And it, it's that that carries him, that makes him very sympathetic. Like, even, like I said, he's he's the cause of this, but you still feel bad for him um, in some in some degree. Um, because he seems like he wants to do the right thing, but it's almost like he's too far gone to ever be able to do it. But, which think, is why I kind of brought up when when Chris asked who if he was the villain, I like I would I wouldn't call him the villain. Yeah, and I mean I don't even think the main character. I wish I could remember. Is is it is it uh, Blaze? Is that how you say his name? Blaze. Uh, Blaze. Blaze. Thank you. Sorry, Blaze. Like even even when oh man, I don't want to spoil. Um, I'll save that. The, the film is like 60, 70 years old. Just spoil it. It's fine. Okay. Or, well, yeah. I was just going to note, like, when Blaze finally does succumb to his injuries, he insists that they bury him. And, I mean, maybe that's strategic for him to, you know. Oh, sorry. Him. No, Blaze oh, is Robert Ryan's character. You mean the yeah. captain? Yeah, I don't remember yeah, his captain name. captain passes and Blaze, is, you know, we bury him. Because yeah. there's there's at least some mutual respect there. You know, they they had they they were adversaries, but at the end of the day, you know, he respected him in some way. I think I, I know exactly. I agree with your point, but I just want to, I think this is the thing that works so well in the film for me. <clears throat> I don't know that by the end of the movie, I would say that they were not adversaries. Um, I think Blaze, the Robert Ryan character, picked up pretty fast that that Burl Ives is, is this dam holding back like the flood of of rape and 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 revenge or whatever like all the evil that wants to come through this town is all being held up through burl ives right um and so they had a tenuous relationship because i think captain brune was trying to walk that line of still looking like the same captain in front of his men in order to sort of hold them back but but not wanting to go through whatever he did to the mormons again um but I, I don't think they. I don't think when he died, I don't think it was as you know adversaries to to uh, Blaze. I think they. Were. Yeah, that's a good point. It's you know they were at least 
knew what had to be done. Like, I mean, at, at this point, we, we everyone knew, including him, that he wasn't going to be able to hold back Texan pace forever. That just wasn't going to happen. They, yeah, they which... had been talking about a power play pretty much the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is why I think Blaze did, uh, you know, essentially went on the suicide mission to lead them over the mountains because, and this was the kind of the eventual heroic act that, that Robert Ryan's character did do, was to to sort of lead uh, lead, lead them all, including um, the captain, out of the town over the mountains, which was essentially going to be a suicide mission just due to the snow and everything like that. Um, and I think at that point, both Blaze and the captain knew this was the best route, even though they knew they were both probably going to die. At least they weren't going to be in the town where all the mayhem could happen afterwards. So yeah. that was almost like the captain's sort of way of re- redeeming what happened with the Mormons. Um, he he knew he was going to die. Blaze knew he was going to die. Let's just get everyone out of the town before you know carnage could ensue. Yeah, and it's funny we were talking about uh, two towers because that's kind of what makes that moment powerful, right? Like men giving up everything to to do what's right. You know, it's that positive masculinity type of thing where you're you know the end's result, but you do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's it's a real turning point for for Robert Ryan's character because he starts off so petty, you know, he's petty, jealous, gonna burn down another man's property because he married the woman he loves, and in the end, he's willing to give her and everything up just to make sure that she's safe and the town is safe. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a big redemption arc uh, for Robert Ryan's character as well. I think. Yeah, and I think the. Um... You know, I think the character of Gene is kind of interesting because he's kind of in that in-between if he can go either way. Like, obviously, he respects his captain and he wants to, you know, do right by him. But he also has these doubts of what's the right thing to do. So it's, it, I think he's very interesting. And at least my reading when he asked uh, him to get off his horse and give it to, I think it was Tex or Pace. It was one of them, whoever lost their horse in that scene. I almost feel like it was the captain saying, you know, go home. Like mm. you're you're not, it, this is your opportunity to get out. Mm. You know you don't have to be part of this because I mean you know he was the youngest one there. He was definitely the most innocent of the ones there, and probably the one that deserved to live at least more than the rest of them did. And right. start making better choices. Right. This is one thing that so Andre to talk. Maybe this is the perfect segue to talk about him for a moment. So you know this guy was Hungarian, right? Um, he, uh, his birth name was Toth Andre Antal Micheli. Sure. And then when he came over here, he, he changed it to Andre Toth or Andre de Toth. Um, and <clears throat> this, this feels like, and there's not a lot of comparisons between this film and Fellini movies, but there's one thing that is kind of cons- consistent or similar. And I don't know if this is just like a European thing from that era but the character like you know morality is complex that's like the whole point right there's no characters that are truly good truly evil i mean at least main characters there are some pretty evil uh characters in the film but you know the 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 leads are all kind of in this gray area and that's something that i think it, it if it's done right it's a very powerful message because I think it just reflects reality a lot. Like 
the the situation that Rob Ryan was in and that whole town was in was it's difficult. Like the weather sucks, right? Like they're in this small kind of town. They don't have a lot of commerce coming through. Like they're all kind of making it, but you know, one bad winter away from losing the farm or whatever, you know, like there's that whole, like they're in this tough environment. And so it, in the tough environment, it creates a different type of morality because survival becomes less stable. Um, and I think the film did a good job of of that. And I don't know if this is extending into the war metaphor from before, or if, if this is, you know, because war has a lot of these tough environments where you go in and you have to make uh, between two bad choices. But, I, you know, I think it's, if it's not that, it's at least true for the for the Old West and especially the Old West in the winter. Yeah, and it's and it's something like I think you know the old west. It's always about surviving the heat, but it 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 cuts both ways. Like this Wyoming in the winter, it sucks, <laughs> and nice. it's just that you know they, there's no chance for help. You know you're kind of on your own, and I think they do, and that's what's great about like the whole landscape we were talking about at the beginning. Like you feel that loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I did actually have one complaint about the film and I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. Um, him living at the end. I, I think that was the only mistake the movie made. Um, yeah, I can understand why, why, um, what's the point of this grand gesture of sacrifice if he didn't actually sacrifice anything in the end. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can, I can see where you're coming from that it kind of undercuts that emotionally. And yeah, I would have been fine if he didn't make it out. I thought, you know, it would have resonated emotionally that he did actually go ahead with this this sort of sacrifice sacrificial gesture. Um, I also don't mind that he lived. Um, I, th- I think the only problem I think with him living maybe is that the film just kind of goes back to square one where he wants the girl and is probably gonna go back to attacking the husband again. Like, how does how does anyone kind of move on from what just happened? How does any of this change? Um, but at the same time, it's not going to keep me up bugging me at night. Yeah, but I, no, I, I certainly see where you're coming from, though. And I, I, I wonder. I, I was sitting there wondering if it's like, is it the era this comes out in? Like, if this comes yeah. out twenty years later, is he dead? Like, even <laughs> ten. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think I think so. Like, there's there's a it's a famous Fritz Lang film called The Woman in the Window, and I'm not going to spoil anything. But it's a film that I wish ended two minutes earlier than it did. For very similar reasons and I, I remember really being frustrated at the ending of this movie and I was reading it and it was studio interference they basically made him end it differently um, so it, it could have been very similar here where you know Robert Ryan's the big name the headline name we don't want to kill him just you know make him make him survive you know it could have been something like that yeah yeah and I mean like I said it, it's still a phenomenal film like this I think I was trying to think about it. I was like, I think this is the first time we've all been like heavily praised the movie, maybe since Night of the Hunter. So apparently 50s black and white films is where we're all going to meet our middle ground. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I don't typically, like 50s is the worst era of filmmaking for me. Well, that's what I um, thought too, but it's like, man, we're all agreeing on it. <laughs> I yeah, love the 50s. You you would, Adam. It's all the new war. It's all the new war. Yeah, I do love the fifties. 
No, it's and I typically don't like the fifties for the reasons we're just talking. It was such a big on like the Hollywood ending. Um, but everyone um, got I, so far up their own arse though in the sixties. So <laughs> I don't know. That's I guess that film that's where I like, really came in. Yeah, that's where I like to hang out. I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the sixties was transitional. I think there's good stuff. The seventies for me is the best, not the sixties. Uh, there's. There's a lot of really good, really, really good movies in the 60s, but um, 70s for me was like where it really hit. Yeah, well, um, if it'll only came out in the 50s, and that's the best Fellini film, so there we go. Do we have oh, to do I'm this now? Debate. I can't even <laughs> say anything. I've never even seen one. <laughs> uh, no, if is awesome. Not the best, but it's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah, the only other thing I want to mention is... Uh, you know, we're going to talk about strong women in uh, for sure in the in the second film, but you know, Tina Louise. So, y'all, I don't know if if this is a just the way I grew up. If this is considered child abuse or whatever, but I've never seen an episode of Gilligan's Island. Um, so I had no reference point for Tina Louise. Um, I didn't she put was together. A, she was in Gilligan's Island. She was somebody called Ginger. Yeah, yeah. Now that you say it, I'm like, oh, okay, that is her. I didn't even realize. Okay, got it. Okay, well, I feel a little bit better then. Yeah, because she's one of these famous celebrity, A-list celebrity types. But I think she was fantastic in this. You know, she had, she. I think she had a, a strong um, presence on screen. Uh, and, and her character was probably, you know, it's not fair to compare it to the, to the female lead from... Uh, the next film we're about to talk about but for what she was asked to do in this kind of film um she really held her own with any of the actors on the screen and i, I think her performance was, was amazing and the really, really filmed her very well like the photographed her great like with the whole black um what do you call that a cloak mm-hmm, like against mm-hmm. the snow and everything else it looked great mm-hmm. i'm so confused I'm I'm just looking at um Tina Luis's uh filmography. They they made a sequel to Rosemary's Baby? Did they really? <laughs> it's called Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. What the oh, fuck? Oh I'm looking I'm adding that now. Yeah, I wish I, I hadn't already oh chosen. Oh my god. Having been adopted by the madam of a southwestern brothel, and now adult Adrian must cope with the fact that he's Satan's kid. And not living up to his expectations. This sounds point eight on a letter. Oh my god! Also, oh, just the yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say this is this is vinegar syndrome waiting to happen. They they look oh, like yeah. this would be perfect for them. Yeah the 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 title just just the title indicates what bad creative choice. Look what happened to Rosemary's baby is the title. <laughs> oh my god! There Wait go. a minute. Oh, it's based off a book, Son of Rosemary. Uh, interesting. Even Son of Rosemary is a better title, I think. But... Better title, but they had to they had to get the Rosemary baby part in there. I don't know. Look what happened to Rosemary's baby. Oh, that is amazing. Um, Terrible. That's he up there with Psycho for too. Rosemary's baby and Chinatown, by the way. The guy who directed it. We he was that. he was Polanski's editor. Uh, I wish <laughs> I had not. Uh, chosen my films for next week because <laughs> this, be watching this yeah this and psycho 2 would be a fantastic week one time i'll, 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 note, I'll note that for later at least one of them will be good <laughs> i've heard that psycho 2 is not good 
What? Are you serious? I like Psycho. Oh, oh no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm saying Psycho. I'm sorry. The birds. Oh, uh, okay. I was like, dude, Psycho 2 is awesome. No, 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 no. I've, the, I'm sorry. No, I'm saying Psycho. Uh, Freudian slip. The, no, the birds. The birds. The birds, too. Okay. Well, the birds one isn't even that good, so that's probably a fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not my favorite Hitchcock. I actually meant thought about rewatching it, but yeah, maybe later. <laughs> All right, so after we uh, just got done with uh, Day of the Outlaw, we're going to jump right back into our second feature. Um, This is another snowy Western. Um, This is by Robert Altman, the famous director who made things such as Images, probably his best work. uh, (laughs) A gambler and a prostitute become business partners in a remote Old West mining town, and their enterprise thrives until a large corporation arrives on the scene. So... Adams, well, actually, we'll get Chris. What is, uh, where is this one at on our site? Well, not, we keep saying site and sound. They shoot pictures list. Yes, it is top. Um, do, do y'all want to guess or do you want to just tell you just to make it quick? Knowing, knowing this film, I guess, I'm guessing it's in the top 500. I don't agree with it, but I'm guessing it's in the top 500. Oh, I was going to say eight. Some... Like 800, <laughs> sorry. Oh, I thought you meant eight. <laughs> no, like 800, sorry. Uh, it is definitely in the top 500. In fact, it's 195. Wow. Just behind um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Solaris. And then just ahead of Knights of Caribbean, or Kiberia, uh, Chunking Express, and Ember No, D. no, no. Well, Chunking Express isn't that good. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will burn this podcast to the ground. <laughs> We only made it through 2022. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, that's so 195. That's very well, high. Like, I, I, I actually don't, I actually like this film. I think it's good. That's way too fucking high. Yeah, I wouldn't put it in top 200. Um, I do really like this movie, though. I, I, I feel like I like it more than Adam does, but it's still not top 195. Why yeah. don't you just, you're, you're in the middle of a point though, Zach. What what else did you want to say um, as we were getting started here? Well, this... I was going to say, you know, uh, since this was Adam's pick, I'd like to see it because I know this was a, kind of a blind watch for him. So I'd like to yeah. hear if, 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 if it was the right call for him to pick, pair this with uh, Outlaw. Um, yeah, I think it was a good, it was a good pairing because they're, they're like, like Day of the Outlaw, this is not a typical Western yeah. Not just because it's snowy, but just in terms of the general plot and things like that. It's not it's not very typical. Like Day of the Outlaw, it always takes place in one little town. There's not really about much in terms of exploration. Uh, very little murdering of Indians, uh, which I know John Ford must have fucking hated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I thought it was, honestly, I just thought it was fine. Um, I wasn't that engrossed with, with the story all that much. Um, one thing I did love the production design like the little village they built and the costumes and everything like that was that was amazing the production designer did a, a top-notch job sort of creating you know the authenticity um you know it felt like it felt like just went back in time with some cameras and just shot um you know whatever time frame this is i assume late 1800s early 1900s maybe at a push um but yeah, like in terms of the actual plot and stuff, I wasn't too, yeah, I wasn't too pushed, uh, you know, 
Warren Beatty's character is kind of annoying, to be honest with you. <laughs> I just find him a bit, I don't know, he's probably supposed to be like that, but yeah, I just found Warren Beatty's character a bit annoying. I don't think Judy Christie is given enough to do. She's a really great actress. Um, and I think she's kind of sidelined a little bit, even though she has such a crucial role in the in the film. I feel like she's not in the film enough. And yeah, the story just didn't engage me. But film looks spectacular, looks great. The production design's amazing. The music's really good. I really enjoyed the songs from Leonard Cohen. Um, so it's a pretty solid four star for me. Um, I appreciate it. I think it's a well-made film, but I'm probably not going to rewatch it anytime soon. What about you, Chris? What did you think? So I probably like Altman the most from this group. I guess I haven't heard specifically your your take, Zach, but I love. Well, to him. be fair with Altman, like I, I don't hate Altman. I just hate images, <laughs> and, and, and I actually, I, I actually hate images because it's Altman, and I and I I expect more from him. Oh, I see. Um, okay. So that's I, I definitely don't hate Altman. I love True True Women's a great film. Uh, and I really enjoyed uh was it the is it the long long goodbye? I always yeah, mix yeah. up the long goodbye and the long good Friday. The long goodbye is the one with um with uh oh, Monica it, it, and, Elliot Gould. Yeah, yeah. Elliot Gould, yeah, Monica and uh what's his name's dad from Friends. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I like that I like that film a lot as well. So I saw those two first and then I saw images and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, but yeah, I don't have a problem with Robin Altman. I think he's a good director. So apparently, it, Gould was supposed to be the uh, main character for McCabe originally, but the studio said no. Oh, I think they actually got the casting right. I don't think I, I Gould in the Long Goodbye is one of my favorite performances. That guy is awesome, but I I don't think he's right for this. I like Warren Beatty for this, and I'll and I'll I'll make his defense here in a minute. Um. Just in terms of Altman's career, so he had just finished MASH, um, which was, you know, I know pe some people don't like it now, uh, but at the time it was a huge hit, obviously spun off the TV show. And then this was his next movie. Funny enough, right after this was Images. And then right after that was Long Goodbye, California Split. So I think early on in his career, he was kind of just trying to figure out his style, right? And then his traditional like Altman style, it was like MASH this and then Nashville. And then you probably start looking all the way until just looking down. I mean, the player is almost 20 years later before you start getting into things like Gosford Park, these kind of movies that he's known for in, in that way. Um, but I, I love, uh, first of all, Leonard Cohen is the right choice. I think this movie is, Whatever you think about it, I think it's another star or half star just because of Leonard Cohen. I love the music in this. It's so perfect for like that kind of like you know anti-Western movie in a way. Um, because this, you know, his character, McCabe, would typically be uh, like a character in a Western with a real lead, right? You don't see Westerns with somebody like Warren Beatty in, in the lead. Like, think about him, like, you know, the one we just talked about, Rob Ryan, Burl, like, like, where would, where would McCabe even fit into that? He'd be the, uh, the owner of a brothel or, or of a casino or whatever, right? But he wouldn't be the main character. Um, 
so I, the, the whole way this is constructed, even from the beginning, I think is kind of cool. And I love the choice of Leonard Cohen. Um, and I, I love the that Altman style where people are kind of talking over each other almost in a whisper. Like there's there's not a lot of silence in, in a Altman film when he does this way, um, but there's also not a lot of unnecessary chatter. I think he just creates like a real, you know, like an authentic environment pretty well. Um, so I, I just immediately kind of sunk into, because I'd never seen this before. So I just immediately sunk into like, oh, this is going to be one of these good Altman style movies that I like. Um, and then the way that it went, um, I'll, I'll save this point for later when we talk about Julie Christie, but I think her role was, uh, I think you, you called it out right, Adam, and I think there's a reason for it. I think she was underutilized because this was not a story about her. This is a story about this idiot, and, and he was shown to be an idiot. Um, and so I think that they used her really well to, to kind of highlight that. Um, but I'll, I'll stop there for a minute. But yeah, I think this movie was great. I don't know if it got four or four and a half for me. We may have ended in the same spot, um, but I, I really like this movie a lot. Yeah, so um, I did want to highlight where you were talking about, you know, where McCabe is is an idiot. Um, but the one thing I think the film does so well, and I think why I like it, and I really enjoyed it this time around, since my second time watching it, was uh, the fact that Altman was so good at making him such an character so easy to underestimate and even the audience underestimates him so there's that scene later on when the guy kind of says you know he's never killed anyone you know that whole story about uh what was his name mm-hmm. bob browntree bob browntree whatever's last name whatever his first name was yeah and they never confirm what happened directly but you kind of figure out by the end everything that was said about him probably did have some truth in it like you even as the audience when he says that like yeah he's probably right this guy's never done anything this guy couldn't actually kill anyone and by the end it kind of comes as a weird shock because you're like oh he's at least somewhat more capable than we give him credit for now obviously uh doesn't always work out for him but uh you know i I would say he's more capable than i think uh, anyone in the film gives him credit for Uh, maybe. Okay. I, I want to, I want to talk about that. Um, <clears throat> but I want to hear, I'm curious what, I'm wondering if we should start be- before we get into that for a second. So just, just by the way of giving like a, a quick kind of background. So we, we basically watch him come into this town, right. And immediately set up a poker game. And it, it becomes obvious from the beginning that, he has kind of an enigmatic presence, right? People are drawn to him. Um, you know, he's he's the best dressed in in the lot of some mountain, you know, miners or whatever, you know, I don't know, farmers, whatever, but like there it's a it's a motley crew, right? So he comes in, kind of sets up this um brothel and, and a gambling house. And then pretty soon after, <clears throat> somebody who's even more polished comes through, right? Which is Julie Christie, Miss um, Miller. She comes through and basically makes a compelling argument to him that she can double his money or whatever if he builds her a house um, for her women. So she sets up what's a 
real rustic kind of brothel. It's literally intense. And then she sets up like a, like a house, like a really nice house where you have to take a bath and like the women are clean. And like, it's a very, it's a, you know, it's like a generational leap in, in quality for, for that particular service, uh, a regional service that, that she's providing. Uh, and then you see in the movie how he is uh, not listening to her or, or listening to her begrudgingly. And then, you know, his arrogance gets him into trouble. And then the ending of the movie is sort of like the outpouring of that trouble that he gets into. Um, and so I'm, 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 I mean, I y'all correct me if, if I miss anything important, but you know, Zach, the only reason I'm hesitating when you say people underestimate him is I, th I get what you're saying. And I think the film is certainly set up that way, but I think the way that the movie ends, he's kind of laid bare as not really knowing what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, he's very much a, he's not thinking two steps ahead. That is just not yeah. who he is as a character. He is taking it as it is, just like when those men offer him money. The one thing I will say is, while I think a lot of people say, well, he's dumb for not taking the offer or anything else like that, there's also that old saying in business that if somebody tells you you have to make a decision right now, don't make it because obviously they know something you don't. I actually think he may, ignoring the fact that, you know, what their alternative is if he says no, ignoring that somebody comes to you and says, we'll offer you this much, but you have to say yes right now. You say no, because obviously there's money to be made and he knows that. Um, it seems dumb in hindsight because of what they do uh, when he says no, but I, I think in the vacuum, he he's making the, the business call that he believes is right because he can probably make more money than they're offering him if he's willing to stick with it. This is what I find so weird about the character, and it's probably written this way, but it just it just kind of annoyed me or you know rubbed me the wrong way. Is that like there's some parts, especially like the start when he first rolls into town and everything like that, where he gives off the air of like a con man, you know. That you know, yeah, like you said before, he's sort of he's very well dressed, looks better than everybody else, seems to be intelligent, you know, he's good at poker, all this kind of stuff. So you initially think, okay, maybe he's a con man, and then it turns out no, he's just really lucky and just kind of dumb, and he's he, you know, he's, he's he's easily manipulated. But then he does other things, like you just said there, Zach, where he turns down the money or turns around the initial offer. Um which kind of thing make you think, okay, maybe, maybe he is, maybe he does know what's going on. And it's just it, that kind of jumping back and forth. It just kind of threw me a lot. Um, it reminds me of, um, and I think I've said this quote before uh, on, on this podcast, but there's a, there's an Irish film called The Guard with Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah and, and Don Cheadle has this line in the film addressing Brendan Gleeson where he says, you know, I can't tell if you're really motherfucking dumb or really motherfucking smart. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that's how I feel about McCabe as well. Um, which I know, and maybe it's maybe that's the point, but it just kind of got it just kind of annoyed me a little bit that I wasn't able to pin him down as a character, and it just came across maybe I don't know, maybe it was a problem in the writing or something. I'm not too sure. I know I'm on, <laughs> I, I know I'm on, I'm in the minority when it comes to this kind of stuff with this film, but yeah, it just it just didn't sit right with me personally it just kind of annoyed me a little bit i, I think I, I definitely understand what you're saying it almost feels like a consistency issue 
And I think for yeah. me, the moment that it sells me more of he is he's on he's closer to the smarter end of the spectrum than the dumb end of the spectrum where, you know, you don't know what's true and what's a lie when it comes to his past is uh, with that uh, being vague when he pulls out a Derringer pistol right at the end. And I'm like, oh, so that's was true. All of that was true. And yeah, he's pretty much lost at that point. But you at least say, well, he was I'm trying to think of a good thing. It's almost like he's just a, he's the survivor type. Like he's just the yeah. type that that's his main goal. And, you know, it worked out for him until it didn't. So can I there's there's this is probably the best time to kind of jump into the, the, one of the big points I wanted to make about this and one of the reasons I like it so much. And I, and I think it has to do with the way that we can't fully grasp. I mean, even the three of us here can't fully grasp if he's an idiot or, or genius. And th this is what I felt the whole movie. This is the Silicon Valley entrepreneur story. Okay. Like this is, I, it's almost, it's almost prophetic in the way that it's written. Like this is a hundred percent what happens in tech startups where you get a uh, emboldened founder. And if you think about it from one perspective, it's insane to have a 24 year old kid, guy or girl, mostly white guy, but anyway, it's just, just 24, 25 year old kid ask a bunch of people to follow them as they're building something that's going to like change the world and then go ask people that have lots of money for money to support this vision and then go build that thing. Um, but for the ones who kind of get it off the ground, they need somebody like a Mrs. Miller to come in and kind of help take it to that next level. So you might say like a series A to a series B round of financing. But one of the biggest struggles that these founders have is knowing when to exit. Do you go the do you go the the public route? Do you IPO and do you do you try to get that on the stock market? It can have big payout for the founders, but it can also have some disastrous effects on the team and and the morale and and people don't like the way that you have to do all of a sudden now you're like recording uh, reporting quarterly to Wall Street and some businesses don't operate well on quarterly kind of earnings basis, or do you go take another big round of money and see if you can grow to a point where you can get even bigger? Or do you let sales kind of fuel growth? You, you make all these decisions and about 90% of the time founders make the wrong decision or 95%, whatever it is. There's some startling number of startups that fail. We only hear about the ones that make it, but maybe because I'm biased because that's the world that I kind of come from, but like this, I, I just, I was hooked because like, this is, I recognized him. I've seen that. I've seen McCabe before many times. Like I, I, I just felt like this was written. It's, it's insane to me that this was written in the sixties um, because I feel like, or 71, I guess, whatever. I don't know exactly when it was written, but this is the the entrepreneur story, um, and he, even in the story, he is an entrepreneur, right? Um, and you know, this is the story of an entrepreneur that ended up in a shootout in the snow, <laughs> with without 
the businesses that he helped build. So he didn't quite make it, but it, it, it could go either way. It's, it's a coin toss. And that's what I, I love so much about this film. Yeah, honestly, that's a great point. I, I didn't really consider it from that angle, but that is actually pretty cool. Now that yes, it's an inter- it's an interesting reading, especially the way the big corporation comes in to try and take over. You know, that happens a lot in tech startups as well. You know, you you, you get a big offer from someone like Google to like to like buy your business, and it's about whether you take the money or or not. Yeah. Um. Do, yeah. do you sell? Do you sell while while you're hot, or do you stay in? try and keep growing and there's obviously countless stories of you know people who've turned down hundreds of millions of dollars for their website or whatever and all for it to just end up going under a few years later and you think shit i should have sold yeah Uh, so yeah i think it's an interesting reading of the film and and that's that or even tens of millions of dollars right for the founder that's life-changing money and for miss miller like she had she, she, you know, this, this is why kind of to go back to the point, Adam. So this is why I think it's her, her role is written. Well, if she had been in it more, it would be a story about her, which it should have been. And that's, that's the, she was a, she played a massive role in the success of McCabe, but this was a story about McCabe. Her name was second and it shouldn't have been. And and that's why I kind of like the story. It it felt to me like that's more often the way that things go. Like she comes in with the vision, sets up the business, makes it successful. That first, that scene where she opens up her her case and it shows the first week's earnings, and he's just like blown away. Like in all of that, she should have had a more prominent role, but she doesn't because it's just kind of the way things work. And not because she's a woman or because it's technically his business, but you know, the person who's running it very rarely gets the same credit. Okay, so you're basically saying the reason she can't really be in it more is because if she's helping making decisions, there is no story. <laughs> like, the story is that he won't make the best decision at the time. Exactly. Like, he's an idiot. That's the story. Or whatever you want to say. He's 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 a, a, a visionary type who's, who's on the edge and as every one of his decisions is made with an extreme amount of hubris and it's a 50 50 decision. And we see, we see one instance where it didn't work the way that, that he would have wanted. Yeah. He's, he's definitely, and I guess that's the thing with showing him at the beginning, being a gambler, that is pretty much his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. He's gambling everything he's got, every, every chance he gets. Yeah. And even I think even like in the in the first scene, if I remember correctly, um, he tells him, you know, he doesn't like to quit when he's losing because he wasn't winning at poker at the beginning. Mm, Great call out. Yeah. So so this is why I don't mind it. You know, honestly, 195 is probably a little high for me, but I don't mind this being uh, a highly rated film. Um, Anyways, that's my argument for why I, I really like it. Actually, I don't know what I'm going to end up rating this. I forgot that I hadn't done that yet. It's it's different than Battle Heater. <laughs> Is it ever going to be as good as Battle Heater, though? That's the that's the big question. Yeah. Um, this isn't anything deeper and insightful. I just think this line's funny, and I just wanted to call it out, was the part where he first meets uh, the guy Sears uh, when uh-huh. he introduces himself, and he's like, oh, uh-huh. I'm Roebuck who's watching the store. I just think that's uh-huh. 
<laughs> that was really good. Yeah, and he does have like some witty parts, and I and I, but you know, I think it's also funny. There's a part where um, Miss Miller calls him out and sarcastically calls him the the frontier wit or something like that. Where yeah, it's very much he thinks he's wittier than he really is, even if he does have a couple good lines from time to time. Yeah, no, totally, and, and that's yeah, well. Anyways, I don't want to, I, I don't want to be too. What's it called? I don't know kick a dead horse or whatever i don't know what the the nice way to say that is now i, I don't really want to kick dead horses but um uh I, I, that's that's just that visionary type that entrepreneur leader like there's so many parallels in the character like we could go we could talk for another hour on this point but i just like this is the thing like for for you know if mark zuckerberg and he's been proven to be insane but let's just go back to 2007 or whatever 2005 you know, it's a 50-50 shot and it's it's a 5% shot that he becomes what Facebook became or maybe even a, a percent of a percent chance that he became that. But even just to have a decent exit at, let's just say that at the time MySpace decided that they should buy Facebook and just kind of figure out how to bring these two worlds together and he exited for $20 million. That's still life-changing money for Zuckerberg, right? Yeah. Um, but he gambled and I guess at least financially, he made the right decision for himself. Um, but a lot of, you know, for everyone like that that does, there's also Blockbuster, right, which had a pretty good run and doesn't exist or, I mean, whatever. And there's a million startups that never make it out of Series A, so. Um, Adam, you're being very quiet. Did I convince you to, to love this movie? Um, no, I like your reading of the movie. <laughs> um yeah I, I like your reading of the movie but yeah and like i said i didn't not like it um that's true you said four stars that's pretty good yeah it's it's fine it's a well-made movie it's well constructed i just thought the characters were a bit annoying the one thing uh i did i almost forgot to talk about this um one thing i thought was interesting that near the end of the film we get to see inside the church and we actually see the near completion of the church at the beginning of the film but what's kind of interesting is the church is still being built after he is so established. Like his bit, like it kind of shows how much the town probably went from like this very church centric town that he comes in with his brothel bathhouse or whatever. And that's booming. Like it got completed quickly. Honestly, he built the business twice because the first one doesn't really work out because the prostitute stabs somebody. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of, I thought that was very interesting to see, like, it almost seems like that's how the town changed as well. And, of course, we see characters who come from far out just to come see this bathhouse, and the church is just kind of let destitute at that point, you only being there with the priest. I love that call out, because when she brings the money in for the first week's earnings, that's essentially tithe money, right? I, yeah. I mean, in the sense that that's, that money only... That money can only go to one place in the town <laughs> and and it's going to her in that instance. Yeah. And it's almost like the church no longer has an ability to finish her. And of course, it ends up burning. Um, Interesting. Which great effect. I just want to note the great shotgun effect from that was great. But yeah, it's it ends up burning. Um, 
being destroyed. And actually, at the same time, that business is pretty much destroyed, too. Like, the whole town is pretty much gone. Anything they could have had is gone, and anything they were having is gone. Yeah. So you actually just reminded me something that I thought about during the end um, that uh, I, I was thinking about just regarding something that, that McCabe, McCabe or Mrs. Miller had said to McCabe kind of early in the film about how the girls, you know, will, will go to church. Um, if I can't remember what it was, if they're left alone, they'll go to church and they'll never come back. Something along those lines anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just found it funny at the end of the film you know, there's this big McCabe's in this shootout, but nobody runs to help him. Everyone runs to the church instead of running to help him. Uh, like there's gunfire going off. So people like obviously know there's some shooting going on. It's not like, you know, it's taking place miles away from where everything's happening. But instead of everything, everybody running to McCabe, everyone runs to the church to help that rather than him. So I just thought that was a, a nice little, uh, a nice little, um, call back to that line from mrs miller earlier in the film and we even get to see the prostitutes carry the water to the church. exactly that's awesome. you know that's awesome. yeah, yeah I, didn't, I, I didn't notice that that's cool yeah just when i was watching i was like oh that's very clever <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the cleverness for the script of this film got sucked out of him and that's why images is so shit <laughs> so yeah there you go interesting but I did like the ending. The ending's phenomenal, uh, just in terms of how it looks. Like I said, that shotgun effect where that dude's arm gets blown off, it's pretty awesome. Uh, so yeah, I did. I did like the ending of this film. It's it's a really really well 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 constructed ending. So that just about wraps up discussion episodes for 2022. It's been fun. We watched some interesting films. The format has changed a couple of times, and you know we've grown with it. It's it's been interesting. Um, the last episode of this year is going to be out, I believe, on the 30th, I think is the Friday. Yeah, the 30th of December is going to be the last episode for this year. It's going to be a, a wrap-up episode like we did last year. We're just going to be talking about some of our favorite films, our favorite segments, that kind of thing. So that's going to be out on the 30th before we get back into normal programming then in January from 2023. Uh, obviously, nothing's sort of changed, really, for the most part. We're still going to have our discussion episodes, still going to have our interview episodes, uh, we are going to have those extra extra episodes coming out every month as well that we'll get into a bit more uh, in the new year. Uh, but for now, Chris, do you want to tell folks what the first discussion episode of the new year is going to be? Yes, I would. Um, so I was trying to figure out how to do this. Um, and, you know, we one of the things I've been interested in recently, especially after the conversation with Mawu Films, um, that came out, I guess, about two weeks ago, uh, by the time that this airs, two to three weeks ago, uh, was this idea of African cinema. And the only name I really knew was Usman Samben, um, as, at least by name. So I was kind of digging around and I, and I found this author and creator and poet and, and uh, composer uh, that the only movie I knew from, from him was Tukibuki. Uh, but his name is Jabril Diop Mambeti, and he's also from Senegal, which I believe Usman Simben is from Senegal as well. Um, and, you know, Senegal is an interesting place. It's a French-speaking colony. It's directly below Mauritania, which is directly below um, Morocco, which is directly below Europe. So it's just a straight line from Spain uh, down to Dakar, which is the capital. Uh, it's... Uh, 
I would say not a not a very Western uh, country, at least by reputation. It's more conservative, um, but um, you know it still has a lot of European influence. The as I read a little bit about Tukibuki, it actually is a story about um, hyenas. Is somewhere in the title. I can't remember the exact title. I can find it in a second. Um, so it's interesting that the two films he made, this Tukibuki, which has a translation into hyenas, and then uh, the other film that I want to recommend for us is actually called Hyenas. <laughs> so, you know, it seems like he revisited this theme. Uh, there's a nice parallel in Tukibuki. I, I, to be honest, I haven't seen the film, but uh, part of the uh, narrative is that this, either like a couple or a brother and sister, or this, this boy and this girl want to go to Paris. And so uh, there's a theme in the movie about them wanting to go to Paris. And I did notice that Membeti actually died in Paris. So it seems like he got there. Um, so there's a nice little story there. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, like, look, it's, we don't talk a lot about African filmmakers and um, they don't get a lot of distribution. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to, to start there and uh, see what these films are about. Sounds good. I'm, I'm, I've been a big fan of African cinema for a while now. I've seen Tukipuki before about two years ago. So interested to revisit it. I'm looking forward to Hyenas. Obviously, I've seen some Usman Senben films as well. Obviously, we watched Soleil O before uh-huh. also, uh-huh. which is a which is a great, great film. So yeah, I'm looking forward to uh looking forward to revisiting Tukibuki and watching Hyenas for the first time. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Med Hondo, right? Yeah. That's a good point. Where is where is he from? Oh, he's from Mauritania. Well, there Mauritania, we go. Mauritania, yeah. So Mauritania and Senegal. So it seems like the west coast of Africa is where a lot of what we're talking about so far. It's, it's um, yeah, the the sort of French, uh, sort of the French um, call it former colonies seems uh, to. Yeah, yeah, that will do it. <laughs> Tukibuki, you see? I don't, have you seen Tukibuki, Chris? I know Zach definitely hasn't. No, seen I haven't anymore. seen it. Yet. Okay, <laughs> don't judge. it's. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna annoy Zach when I say it's very much Goddard in Africa. Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, you'll, there's a yeah, you'll enjoy there's that. a really cool. This is we don't have to make it part of the official podcast, but if you'll have a chance, there's a really cool interview where uh, Mambetti gives an interview to, to, I guess to his film class. I'm not sure why they 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 shot it, but he kind of gets into the process of filmmaking from his angle. It's on YouTube. It's about I don't know five minutes or ten minutes. It's it's really interesting though because he has no formal training. He just picked up a camera and kind of started filming. Um, uh, but he's an incredibly smart guy. It's very clear. Um, so anyways, uh, just, it's a cool, if you have five or 10 minutes, just type in Mumbetti interview. It's the first one that pops up for me at least. Um, cool. But uh, give some good background into him. But yeah, there we go. So 2023, let's go Africa. And Morocco's in the World Cup still, I think, as of as of uh, this recording. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll see if uh, maybe this is the year of Africa. 